Thank you for tuning into Love Dripping from the Walls. I'm your host, Elizabeth Ann Cunningham. You're listening to Season 4, Episode 5. On this season, we are talking about the as-lived experience of people who are BIPOC and LGBTQ. I, along with my fabulous co-host, Jamie Smith, will be joined by people sharing their stories. This episode topic is microaggressions. What are they and how do you experience them? The goal of this episode and the season is that those people who can relate to these stories feel seen, heard, and that they aren't alone. And that those people who can't fully relate can understand life from different perspectives. And that accomplishing both of these things we experience a greater connection as people. Did you know that Love Dripping from the Walls now has merch? Go ahead and click down to the episode notes and buy your hats, hoodies, beanies, masks for Love Dripping from the Walls and other Love merch. Also, whenever you buy Love merch, you support organizations around the world. Currently, we are supporting Autism Compassion Africa. So as you shop, you give back. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the episode. This is the much-anticipated episode about microaggressions. So I am your host. My name is Elizabeth Cunningham. I have my lovely, wonderful, perfect, amazing, fabulous co-host, Miss Jamie Smith. Hi! Yay! So, (laughs) Jamie, I want you to kick us off with this episode and just share what is a microaggression and what are some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. Okay, so this one was my baby. And so a microaggression is kind of a, the dictionary definition of it is that a statement an action or an incident regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group, such as a racial or ethnic minority. And so in plain English, it's basically when someone says something based on a, you know, kind of an assumption or based on a stereotype or some sort of bias that they hold where they don't intend it to be offensive, but it still is. So for instance, you know, when a white person says to a black person, oh, you're so articulate. You know, that's like the classic microaggression, right? Mm -hmm. They're intending it to be a compliment, but the implication is that black people are not typically articulate. And so the fact that you are is an aberration or a novelty or surprise, you know, that sort of thing. And so one of the things that we wanted to talk about was like the fact that microaggressions exist, that they are kind of a way of kind of slowly killing your spirit throughout the day, especially if you're in corporate America or if you're just kind of walking around, you know, but the interesting thing about microaggressions that I've noticed is that you never get a microaggression from someone who is actively overtly racist, right? So if somebody is absolutely racist, they're just going to call you the N-word or some sort of derogatory word and just keep it moving. But it's usually the people who mean well, who don't realize what kind of bias they have, or if they do have a bias, they just haven't rectified it. Nobody's told them about it. They're usually trying to find some way to connect with you, but it's either awkward or it's just unintentionally hurtful. 
So that's one of the things that we wanted to talk about today. You know, what does it look like to be microaggressed upon? And this is kind of going to be the inappropriately funny episode because typically, at least for me, when I look back on microaggressions that have happened in the moment, it was like, oh man, it's really kind of, you know, screwed up my day. But when I look back on it, I'm like, it's so funny because it's so dumb, <laughs> you know? So that's one of the things that we want to kind of create that space today to talk about, you know, what is it like to have someone do a microaggression? And then, you know, especially if somebody does that and then they don't, they don't acknowledge it or other people don't acknowledge it or they tell you to be, you know, you're too sensitive or anything like that. What does that feel like? And then what are the things that we want the audience to know about that, you know, to know about, you know, thinking about what they say before they say it or thinking about what they do before they do it? Thank you. Thanks for introducing that and just kind of breaking down exactly what microaggressions are and what we're going to be talking about today. And so my request for everybody that is here on our panel today, which this is our biggest panel. I'm really excited to hear all of your shares. So my request is that the first time that you speak, that you say your name, that you say a little bit about yourself, whatever that might be that you'd like listeners to know about you. Again, some of this is going to be on YouTube and so they can see you. And some of this is not going to be on YouTube, so they can't see you. And so (laughs) being as descriptive as possible is up to you. And the fun question of the day is, what is your favorite recess activity growing up? Boom. (laughs) <laughs> oh, good, good. I only ask these questions for Caleb's reaction. That's the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> like, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I'll go first. Mine's kickball. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, who'd, uh, like to, who'd like to share first? I'll share. I was always at the top of the monkey bars with my book and dare you to come up there because you will get pushed off. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm territorial, so yeah. <laughs> That's great. I was always on the, the blacktop playing basketball with the boys. I was like the there only girl that was playing basketball. And I would, it's kind of funny because you couldn't get me near a girl in elementary <laughs> school. Like, I was just constantly playing with boys. And it's like, oh, wait. That's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. But you have to say your name and a little bit about Oh, sorry. That's me. <laughs> I'm Ra. I'm 32. Live in Redmond, Washington with my fiance. I, yeah, I'm from New Mexico. I've been here for about, it'll be six years actually next month. Best decision of my life. And yeah, you know, that's me, Ra. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Paul Martinez. I'm originally from New Mexico. Live in Washington. Go New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> And I am actually Hispanic, and my favorite activity during recess is playing dodgeball. Ooh. Got a lot of aggression out. <laughs> <laughs> I always have aggression. I'm Dee. I'm living in Seattle now, but I'm originally from California. <laughs> I'm queer, obviously, and <laughs> herbalist. And like thinking about it, actually, my favorite like activity for Reese's was just like being <laughs> like on the field. And I don't know if everyone that had these types of flowers on, it's like a California thing. But they were like these little like flowers, and the leaves were really like juicy. I don't know what <laughs> other word to say. And I would like <laughs> I would like take off the leaves and like paint pictures with the juice what is that even <laughs> oh wow <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah i was really into that for recess or i was also really into the monkey bars as well 
yeah. until I became scared of heights. And then I was like, oh, never mind. I'll stay oh, on the field <laughs> with the flowers. <laughs> with, with my juice. <laughs> with my, yeah, with my juice. <laughs> my juice and flowers. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you're an herbalist now. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, no. <laughs> stay with my juicy flowers. <laughs> my juicy flowers. Also, I forgot to mention two major details because, like you said, this might be on YouTube and also, if they just hear my voice, I'm a lesbian and I'm black and Mexican. <laughs> All right. Awesome. And you can also share any microaggression stories that you have as well. We don't have to just share. <laughs> just oh, my, I thought we were just talking about like, <laughs> microaggression. I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, you want to go into microaggression. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. That's I don't know. I feel like probably everyone maybe has heard this, but I feel like people are always like, but you don't look gay. <laughs> and I'm like, what does that even? What does a gay person look like? <laughs> and especially when I was like presenting more a female, yeah, people would always think I was straight. They're like, oh, tell me about your boyfriend. And I'm like, well, her name. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it just creates a lot of uncomfortability, <laughs> which I'm like, yeah. I think for me, I had the opposite. Like, I could not pass for masculine growing up. And like one instance that stood out for me was I was on the tennis team in high school and I was playing for the number one seat and I ended up losing by one point. Mm -hmm. And after the game, he came up to me and he's like, oh my gosh, he's like, I was not expecting you to give me that much of a challenge. I was expecting to play against someone that was screaming like a girl. And that just left like a really sour note. And but it was kind of good though, because I'm like, okay, that's what you expected, but that's not what you got. Right. Mm-hmm. And it did leave a sour note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure to them they were like, that's like a compliment. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just gave you the biggest compliment in the world. <laughs> I guess for me, I've got a couple that I deal with. It's sad, like I probably deal with microaggressions daily, but you're so articulate. I've definitely gotten that mm-hmm. a lot. Or well-spoken or mm-hmm. you don't sound black kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then the other one is, I guess I get followed around in stores a lot, especially when I'm with my white friends mm-hmm. and my friends are always, or like just my friends who are not black, I should say, because they'll just be like, that woman's like following us. <laughs> and I'll just be like, oh yeah, no, it's cool. Like it's, <laughs> I'm here. Like, you know, and they'll just be like, literally on our tail. And I'm like, yeah, it's not going to stop unless you want me to leave. Like, it's just, this is what happens. Like, you know. I remember this woman of like, she was like the owner. We found out she was like the owner of the store and she had this like really pink hair and looked like really rad. But the whole time I would literally just like look over my shoulder and she'd be like, like in COVID days, she would be like well in my bubble. And I'd just be like, damn, like this woman's on me. So yeah, I'd say I get followed around in stores a lot. And then another one that I see is when people think I'm like the spokesperson for all black people. Like, I'll just be like, like, I remember when the whole Braille Cosby thing was first, like, happening, and this woman was just like, what do you say? Like, what, what, what are Black people thinking right now with Bill Cosby, you know, this going on? And I literally, like, imagine myself on, like, CNN and, like, just, like, talking <laughs> with, like, a microphone, and it's just, like, banner, and it's just, like, Rob Ryan speaker for all black people like it's like no like i don't literally speak for all black people those are just to name a few and i'm sure a couple more will pop up in my head later on but yeah actually i've been following i'm caleb i used to do two favorite things at recess well one was just fourth grade i played football every recess 
the entire fourth grade year with all the guys, except for one, because I'd wear a dress that day. I'm trans. And I remember just being so mad that day that I couldn't play football because I had to wear a dress for whatever freaking reason. But mostly I was found on the dodgeball court with a book, like dodging the ball. (laughs) (laughs) Just sitting in the corner reading my book. So people would have to... They wanted to play. Sorry, we'll have to wait till after school or something. But when you're talking raw about being followed, the one that stuck out to me is I was 18 and I was going camping with one of my friends, my little white friend, and we were out in Winthrop, which is I feel like kind of central east Washington. And it's this little. We were camping like right outside of the city, or it wasn't even a city, like a little town. And we went into town for like ice cream and like go around the shops and stuff. But it was very western themed. Mm-hmm. And it was very clear right away that I was the only not white person in this entire little town. And every single store that we went into, the eyes were immediately just following me around, watching what I was doing, watching what I was doing. And she, she didn't have, she had no clue. But I just remember being very like uncomfortable the entire, I couldn't even like relax and enjoy myself. And it was one of the first times I really experienced that. And I was 18, I didn't have a parent around or anything. We were, you know, grown, going camping on our own type of thing. And I just remember, like, remember to this day, I'm almost 34, just how that made me feel, especially because I've never gotten in trouble with anything. I've never been that rowdy type of person, but they didn't know that. All they saw was like the color of my skin, this young baby dyke at that point walking into their store. You know, I made sure that my hands were never in my pockets and I was never, you know, standing too close to something. And that was probably one of the biggest ones I can remember from back then. But the ones I deal with now usually are, again, you don't sound black. I get, oh, I I never would have known you were trans, which people think that's a compliment, but it really isn't. You know, for me, yes, passing is important. That's the journey that I wanted to go on. That's how I feel the most safe as a trans man. But for you to be like, oh, I never would have guessed isn't the compliment that you think it is. It's not, it's not fun. Because then sometimes I'm just like, well, what if I wasn't passing? Would you have given me the same Oh, I wouldn't have known because you don't X, Y, Z. I remember I had a a close family friend back when I was first coming out. We were talking about pronouns and stuff. And she was telling me that she wasn't going to be able to use the right ones until I looked and sounded like a guy. And uh, again, that was just, it was not as micro, obviously. But thinking about it too, I think another microaggression people don't really realize is when people say preferred pronouns. Mm-hmm. it's not what I prefer. It's what it is, what my pronouns are. And so when you're like, well, what are your preferred pronouns? No, you should just, what are your pronouns? Cause that little preferred part is another microaggression in itself. Yeah. I have similar stories like that. <clears throat> I'm Poppy and I grew up in Taiwan and I came to the United States like eight years ago in Seattle for two years and went on to Michigan to uh, for university <laughs> And then now I'm in New York with my fiance. And yeah, my favorite activity during recess, if not dodgeball, it will be, you know, going to the restroom with my girlfriends. And, you know, we will kind of play this dumb game when someone is doing their business, we will pour water into their toilet and, you know, just for fun. Yeah. I know that's me, but it's not a bully type. We all do this to each other. Yeah. So your favorite recess game is playing pranks with your friends in the bathroom. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, sounds creepy, but I'm I'm yeah. not you know hentai. I'm. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that too. B was like, I love that, and I'm like, I love that. I mean, I'm sure if I had gotten pranked, I would have been like, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and the <laughs> microaggression I've been experiencing. I mean, when I was young at school, there will be a lot of female classmates telling me, "Oh, you, you are so handsome. I will definitely fall in love with you if you are a boy." Or they will say, "Oh, I will definitely, you know, date you if you are a boy." And that for them it sounds like a compliment, but for me that's hurtful because I love being a female. I don't. My, you know, my own biological sex. But when they say that, it's kind of, you know, denying my existence as a female and my body.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it kept giving me the doubt that if I was born with the wrong sex, or you know, if I should do a transition to become a man.、Mm-hmm. But it had followed me for a, you know, a long time, and I have been questioning about my gender, my sex. Even my sexuality for a long time, but then you know, throughout the journey, I eventually realized, okay, it's not about other people; it's about me, who I want to be. It doesn't really matter what other people say, but you know, these type of little compliment really hurt a child or any children. It can follow them for a long, long time. So yeah, I it's how it has affected me. Yeah. So、I think I can go next.、Uh, my name is Daniel. I am also New Mexican. I grew up in Central New Mexico, and then I went to school down by Texas. So I think the other the other people on the call from Mexico can understand. Kind of growing up in a conservative, Catholic, Hispanic kind of environment <clears throat> was always kind of tough. You know, always growing up, I think. It stings a little bit that you hear little things from your own family, right? So I was adopted when I was nine into the family of an uncle and aunt, and I, my old because they were older than us, they were already in their thirties when my sister and I were adopted. But it was always comments that you heard, you know, oh that gay guy, oh that this, oh that that, you know, and in your mind you're just thinking this is my family, kind of. You know, criticizing other folks. You know that that you know that you are you know like them, right? Your family and stuff. And so that that was definitely very very tough to deal with. So I will share you my favorite activities. When I was in elementary school, I loved playing tetherball, even though I was always beaten by the jocks and the, the soccer players and all those. I was a tiny gay boy who hadn't come out yet, and so it was probably the, the thing that I liked the most. In terms of microaggressions, I think the like I just said, I experienced a lot of that from my family. In fact, when I came out, I had several family members make comments like, just like we mentioned, you know, we never guessed, you know, you don't look gay. We thought you were going to marry. Some thought I was going to be a priest, you know, just because I I was very involved in church. I was an altar boy until I graduated my senior year, you know. But so there was a lot of they thought I was going to do this. They thought I was going to do that, which is which why it made it hard. It made it hard for me to come out. And in fact, I didn't come out until I moved up to Seattle when I was 24. You know, and so in our generations, there's a lot of folks that are coming out younger. You know, in their teens. But I didn't come out till later just because of those reasons. <clears throat> I'm not going to mention names, but I I remember being on a phone call with a family member, and I told them I came out to them. And one of their comments was, "Oh, great! Now you can help us in the kitchen." You know, I don't know if that was like a, I don't know what they meant by that, but I thought, "What the hell's with you?" Like when I lived with them, I did yard work. I even know how to work on cars. You know, so it's like all my life I lived with you and I worked outside, just like every other man in the family. But yeah, when I come out to you, you say, "You now tell me that." Oh, now you can come help us in the kitchen. You know, it's like I don't know. I I think they meant that like a like a compliment because <clears throat> their their expression was very positive. You know, I just thought 
wow, this is crazy that they're thinking that kind of thing, you know? And so I think just like everybody else, I, <clears throat> because the other thing too, that I experience a lot, I think it's because I'm, I'm a lighter skin is, oh, we never thought you were Hispanic. We never thought you were Mexican. We never thought you were, you know, and, and I think a lot of people mean it as a compliment, but I'm like, how is a Mexican supposed to look? How is a gay guy supposed to sound, act or talk, you know, those kind of things. And I think at, at that point, you just kind of swallow those kind of things. But I think that sometimes there comes a time where you're just, your bottle gets full of, sorry to say, bullshit. And you're just like, man, what the hell? All these little things that just come either building up, right? And, and I know a lot of folks, I'm sure you guys know too out there that don't let things out. They bottle them up until they just kind of blow up. And, and so the, I think over time, I've learned to kind of at that time and at that moment, the same day, you know, try to release all those things that you've experienced, right? I think moving up to Seattle too, I, you know, I experienced that kind of chatter around me about people of color or people who were, uh, who are LGBTQ. And I'm like, there's sometimes that you sit there and you're like, I can't believe that just came out of your mouth. I can't believe you just said that about other people. You know what I mean? And in Mexico, they have this saying about throwing rocks, you know, and you feel the rock hit you, you know, and you're like, holy crap, you know? And so I think those are a lot of things that we experience, you know, as, as queer people and people of color. But I think the, I, at least if I would say something is, you know, having to learn and deal with it and not bottling up. So for example, my partner is that type of person that will just bottle everything up and then later it'll come out. And the person who's most impacted is me because I'm the one around who that, when it comes out, you know, and it's how I experience all that freaking aggression on me. And so I've tried so hard to have him kind of learn to be more of a, you know, release it at the time that you feel it kind of deal so that I don't get it months later. So yeah, that's the only thing that I would say about my experience. Yeah. First of all, all of you, thank you so much for sharing all that. And Daniel, I think one of the things that you brought up towards the end is like how you deal with that, you know? And so that's my question is how do you deal with that? How do you, you know, do you say something in the moment, you know, that someone says something to you? Do you have like self-care practices? Do you have like, what are the things that you do? Like, cause as Daniel brought up, it's like, when these things happen and, and Ross said, you know, sometimes these things happen like every single day, multiple times a day. What do you do in those moments or after those moments to not explode later on? Or do you, is, do you just explode later on? You, you know, like what, what is that? How do you do? I'll go. I would say a lot of times when I experience microaggressions or like people gaslighting you and stuff, I feel like in the moment, I don't know what's happening, truly. <laughs> and so it's not until later when I'm processing. Like just this conversation brought me back to like a time where I was just really coming out and like exploring my sexuality. And I had an experience with this guy. Uh, I was in college and I was like involved in the Pride Center. And this person took advantage of me. Like it wasn't anything where I was like raped or anything, but we were talking and like there was like sexual talk via text and then when we were in person like then making a move on me and making me feel really bad and as if I had done something wrong because I had talked about the possibility of hooking up in person but then when we were in person I said no and I remember feeling really bad about that because I was like oh my god yeah like he was like you're a tease like you um you're overdramatic you're overreacting 
anyways, what I'm saying is that I didn't know it was happening and I didn't realize that that was something that was a problem until like later and then trying to process and deal with it afterwards. Because I think sometimes in the moment you're just trying to like get through it and yeah, not blow up at somebody because obviously like if you were to hurt someone in the moment, you could get in trouble and, you know, like law enforcement wouldn't be like, well, it was a microaggression. So it was really that other person's fault, not yours. <laughs> so I don't know if that even answers your question at all. I think the, the calculation is real. Most of the microaggressions I've experienced happened at work. So I'm kind of like, okay, I have to weigh, all right, if I blow up on this person, is this going to be a career limiting move? Do I want to educate them or dismiss them? And you kind of bottle that up until you get home. So for me, my mindfulness and my self-care practices are huge. You know, there Mm -hmm. has to be, especially in these days of COVID when we're all remote, there has to be a delineation between when I'm out there and when I'm in here in my nice little cocoon in my house. And that's where you get a chance to let it go. A lot of people that I know, I write, I have a journal, so I'll just like let it go that way. Some people sing, some people work out, you know, but there must be always some sort of outlet for it because the more that it builds up, the more you do tend to lash out at your loved ones and, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't deserve it, you know, but it is that kind of calculation that you want on a regular basis, depending on where you are, depending on who the person is. Do you want to have a relationship with them? Do you not want to have a relationship with them? You know, those types of things. And it's just, it's just energy that you have to spend that others don't have to spend. Me and my, uh, me and my best friend have a, a system where she's also Kupak. We call it the spoons system where like, we'll start the day off with like 10 to 15 spoons. Like imagine you literally have 15 spoons and each time a microaggression comes, it's just like, Oh, you're so articulate. Like throw a spoon. You just lost a spoon. And then like all types of things. And so throughout the day, we'll like text each other or we'll, you know, we'll just be talking. And then like, if the the topic gets too heavy or like, we're just out of spoons, Mm -hmm. like you're just like, Hey, started the day with 10, 10 spoons. And like, honestly, I'm negative five. Like I just, I have more spoons and I just can't, I can't talk. And that's kind of like a system that me and her with our other friend also, like we have that because I didn't know what microaggressions were for the longest time. And then when she told me what they were, I was literally like, I have that happen to me daily. And then my boss's boss literally like says all of these things. And I'm just like, oh, shaves an inch off of you. And it just goes into this. Yeah. Like if you don't have that kind of system, it could just really like you blow up. And like you said, in a professional environment could end up portraying, you know, a stereotype of that angry black woman. And then like losing your, like getting written up or losing your job for that matter. And, you know, obviously in times of COVID, that's not the time to be losing your job or even like your professional career. I guess that's the way I kind of deal with it is just I acknowledge it. And then I'm like, Oh, lost a spoon. And then I just kind of deal with it. Like, you know, I, I don't know. It's just like, there's all types of things we do. And we just, we always just end up dealing with it and you just kind of like just walk off. And then, like you said, later on, you're looking back on it and you're like, that was so stupid. Like, that was also yeah. just like, I'm just going to laugh at that. Like, you know, right. I had people yeah. that literally that say when I said like, oh yeah. And then when I went to college, I went to college in New Mexico State University and like people will be like, oh, it, it, cause you played sports like on an academic or on an athletic scholarship. I'm like, Actually, I'm hella athletic, but no, no, I just went to college. Like, no, I was not on an athletic scholarship. Do you just realize what you said? Like, yeah, it's like crazy assumptions. I think for me, it depends on who it is. If it's like somebody I know, I, I feel like I'm getting better at addressing it. Like I when 
V was talking, I was thinking about one that happened sometime this year. It all just blurred together. But I was talking with a couple of my friends. I'm in this, this group chat. I've never met them in person. We were connected by some, hey, do you want an accountability group? Yeah. The accountability group went from this to this to this. And I've got, you know, me and two other friends and we've been talking for a couple of years and they're both black. I'm mixed. I'm like black and native on my dad's side and super duper European on my mom's side. And I've never really fit in on either because I, I wasn't raised with my black side. My dad left. So my mom was like a single mom with my, my white mom and my white grandma raised us, which is a lot of too why I get, well, you don't sound black because I was raised white. And some people are like, oh, it's because you were raised white, right? I'm like, well, I was raised the way I was raised and mm-hmm. talk the way I talk because that's how I talk. But I remember, and we were talking about some songwriter died, some black female songwriter died and one of my friends was talking about it and I just didn't know who that was. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know who she wrote for. I didn't know none of that. And it was like a, what you should know kind of thing because you're, you're black. You should know these things. You should know who these black artists, you know, these significant black artists are. And it was this conversation that we were having where she was just kind of almost like baffled that I don't know a lot of black artists, especially from like the early nineties, two thousands, when they're all the singer songwriters and stuff. And me and my other friend were just like, no, it's not because I wasn't raised black. You don't know who you don't know. And she was like, well, you're an adult now. I was like, well, I don't know who I missed out on. There's no guidebook. Like, so you were raised with a white parent and you have a black parent too. Here's all the things you missed out on go like i wasn't given that manual right so i don't know who i don't know i don't know what i don't know in the black community like i wasn't raised in the black community i was raised very white like that's who i was and i've never really thought about it until it was just like a well you should know these things and even it's not your fault you didn't grow up with it but you should know them now i don't know i know i don't know them now i don't know what i don't know I don't think she realized it was such like a little like microaggressions being like in that conversation. And thankfully my other friend was able to like back me up on that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't honestly think about it being a microaggression until just now. And it's like, that was just a really weird conversation. But now that I'm thinking about it, it was just one of those little examples of you're not enough this and you're not enough that it's your fault. Well, I don't think it's my fault, I don't know. Mm-hmm. but I was able to talk about that to them in that manner but when it is somebody at work like i work with this her name's karen and she can be a Karen. <laughs> she's a 50 something white lady mm-hmm. been in the company for 20 something years and she's like the queen of microaggressions and mm-hmm. sometimes you just let it go and sometimes you're just like karen what are you doing and i've had to learn with karen especially that you can't be nice with karen you have to be very very blunt sometimes and Usually when she's being, it's it's usually like, I have a friend that I work with. She's mixed as well. And she does her little fine baby hair things. Uh And Karen was being microaggressive about that one day, talking about her little baby hairs and how she does the things with her swoops. And as this white lady, I'm like, you can't say that. Like, you can't, you can't say that. Leave her hair alone. And it's just, it's just wild. I wouldn't call her racist, but she doesn't know the the little inherent racism that she has and, mm-hmm. and how she views some of the people that she works with. And so I've learned that sometimes in the workplace, it's not okay to call people on it. And sometimes, you know, you have to, cause there's nobody else that's going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I've found that at work, there are some people who I feel more comfortable mm-hmm. calling out on their shit. 
Yeah. And it's usually it's usually the other gay people. <laughs> I'm like, I see you, okay. I'm gonna let you know. But if it's like somebody else, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just, I'll let you do you. Right. <laughs> Amy, do you deal with hair microaggression all the time? I get, oh my god, your hair is so fun. <laughs> like, oh my god, and then like people touch it all the time without asking, and then they'll ask. Either yeah. one's not appropriate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get it all the time. It's like, this is recently. This was like, you know, maybe like the day before yesterday. It was like, oh, what are you going to be for Halloween? Are you going to be Medusa because you have the snakes? And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> or Predator, right? I'm, or I, used predator. Have, yep. I used to have braids too. And they'd be like, oh, you could be Predator. Or, or is it Predator or Alien? I don't know. That's predator. <laughs> predator. predator. Okay, yeah. It always like you can have you predator, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm I'm going to give you Michonne, and that's all you're going to get. You know, Michonne <laughs> from The Walking Dead with the sword. That's all you get. You know. I, I want to say uh, I agree with me. Sometimes when that happened, you froze. It's like you know something happened, and you suddenly cannot react because it's you just you're so shocked. And I think everyone need to learn their ways to deal with it. I think I'm still learning to deal with it. Usually I just froze and then it will accompany me. I will bottle up for a few days or even a few months. And, you know, it, it's really hurtful to my partner, as Daniel have said. If we keep containing that inside ourselves, it will eventually grow out and hurt people around us. And yeah, one thing I find, you know, useful is like Jamie. You just keep writing it down. Yeah. Sometimes we, it's hard for us to actually talk to someone about what we feel because sometimes we don't even know what we feel. But mm-hmm. with writing, I figured, oh, I can actually, you know, talk to myself and try to reason with myself. Okay, I don't know what happened. Write it down. After you write down five times, I don't know what happened. And then you will know what happened. That's what I, that my experience was. I think for me, when it comes to microaggression, it depends on the microaggression itself. Some microaggressions are, it is what it is. And I just kind of like water (laughs) off a duck's back. But then there's those that hit deep. You know, when Daniel was talking about their culture, you know, one thing that I've always kind of struggled with is coming from New Mexico. When people ask me where I'm from, I say New Mexico and all they hear is Mexico. Mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that but that's not where i'm from and so then people start to assume well you need to know spanish so then i get the whole oh you don't know spanish and i'm like no i'm not from mexico i'm from new mexico so then i have to start defending myself so that becomes you know a hassle i've actually stopped doing businesses with people because of that because i just i get so offended and then the other one that i get is well it's just a phase or you know you being gay is just a phase or how do you know you've never been with a girl? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't need to know. I don't need to try it out to know, you know, that I like something. So the big thing that I have to deal with is what I find myself coming to is I turn to music a lot. I'm a huge music person. And so I have a whole like playlist on my iPhone strictly for when I have to deal with these kind of situations. I just put on the music. I'll either listen to it or dance, you know, do something to kind of get my mind off of it. Or I do turn to my friends to talk to talk to them. Usually it's my gay friends because they can understand where I'm coming from when dealing with it. And I'm not afraid to say a good cry helps <laughs> depending on because some of these microaggressions do bring back memories of things that happened in the past. 
And so, you know, just having to process it is a big one for me. Paul, I was going to say on what Paul just said with that whole, how do you know if you've never been with a girl thing? I actually remember I used this when I had spoons. I used this guy one time because he, I remember I was working with him. It was, I was freshly, um, I was uh, just coming out in college and I was severely closeted in college. And then I came out like the last, like basically semester right before I graduated and I was working at this restaurant and this guy was just constantly like hitting on me, hitting like, kind of like that want what you can't have kind of like attitude. And I remember one time he told me, he said, well, how do you know if you've never been with a man? Like blah, blah, blah. And I, he's like, you don't know until you're with him. And I turned it on him. And I remember being like, so what was your experience with a man? <laughs> he was like, and he goes, well, what do you mean? I'm not gay. And I was like, well, how do you know if you've never been with a man? Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I like literally flipped it on him. And he was like, well, that's not the same thing. And I was like, it's literally the same thing. <laughs> and I swear, like, I'm just like, when someone uses that argument on me, I always flip it now. Like I said, if I have the spoons and it's the best, it works with men so well. Like they'll just be like, how do you know if you've never been? It's like, so, and it's, I've used it once. I will say I've used it once to the guy and one guy said, I didn't like it. And he was like, he owned it. He like owned it. And he was just like, you know what? I did it and I didn't like it. And I was like, you know what? Good on you for admitting it. <laughs> Me too. I was so taken aback. Like, I was like, oh shit, you owned it. Good on you. I was like, you still I get with me though. Take care. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I just want to add that. Get, like microaggressions that just that just confound you. Like when I came out, came out fairly late in life, and you know, I was telling my I'm from a Jamaican family, so it's like, what you do? You're like, you're like, yeah, no, you know, that sort of thing. And so my aunt came to me and she says, Jamie, I realize that you're bisexual. I just want you to know that at first I didn't believe it because I know Jamie likes the D. And so, you know, I always believed that bisexuals were just gay women who were trying to act like they like the D, they like men you know, so that they could fit into society. And like, she's giving me this, like, I didn't ask for this. Like, why is it so random? Like, I don't want this. Right. You know, but she was just like, you know, but now I know, I know that you like men. And so I just have to say that maybe you're really bisexual because I've seen you with girls. I'm just like, this sounds like a personal problem that, <laughs> you know, you might want to work out for yourself because I'm saying I like both. It's not one or the other. I like both. I'm monogamous because I like one at a time, but it's still both, you know, that sort of thing. And so, but do you ever find it like where you're just kind of like Scooby-Doo, like, Whoop, and you're just kind of like this for the rest of the day? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I just think when people like say things, I'm like, why would you ever think that that would be chill to say to somebody? Yeah. <laughs> I get that a lot, actually, from straight cisgender dudes and me and Elizabeth are going to have a conversation surrounding this. And yeah, general. yeah. But when I was on the different like dating apps and stuff, as soon as they sniffed out that I was a trans man, mm -hmm. my inbox was blowing. They were just out of the woodwork like roaches. And every yeah. single one of them would default to thinking that I was a very feminine bottom without even talking to me, without even, hi, how are you? First of all, I don't date guys. And I nowhere in anything said that I was dating guys. But the minute they sniffed out I was trans, they would just be flooding my inbox. And it was always, that I was the one wanting to be the bottom. And it just it just blew my mind. Cause one, for a lot of guys, it's a big like no homo type of thing. They think mm. that they can get away with their male experience because I'm very masculine, but it's not because I, you know, they don't to them it's not like they're really with a guy. 
And so oh. that's very a big thing. And it would just blow my mind. And, and they would start asking all of these really personal questions before even knowing like what my favorite color was. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. why do you think you're so entitled to all of these things about my life and my experience yeah. and my body just because, and I know some, some trans guys are very open and I'm not somebody that is super stealth or super or quiet. I, I'm somebody that if you ask me a, a respectful question, Nine times out of 10, I'm going to answer it, even if it is a little bit more on the personal side. But for you to just come at me entitled to my body or my experience, then they get mad. I'm like, bro, that was super duper personal. Like, well, it was just asking, it was just a question. I didn't do anything by it. I'm like, you knew, you probably didn't know what you're doing because you're a ding dong. But (laughs) it was just, it was always that. It was always the fault. Like, hey, can I get in your pants? I'm like, no. (laughs) Really curious. I could probably get in your pants. So right. <laughs> like Ross and I'll flip it around on you. Like if, yeah. if you want to figure it out, like you can be the one that, that gets to know what it's like, but you're not coming. No, but they, they just, they see nothing wrong with it. And so I had to really, really learn where I let that little bitty tidbit out because yeah. I, I'm telling you 15, 20 guys in like five minutes would just pop into my inbox. And it was consistent. And yeah. was it always like, oh, I'm just being curious as opposed to like mm-hmm. really being interested in you as a potential yeah. partner? Yeah. It was always just curiosity because it's it's like they can have their cake and eat it too. They get uh, their, their guy on guy experience, but it's not a real guy on guy experience because I was born mm-hmm. with not biological guy parents. Yeah. It's wild. Phenomenon. Daniel, I'm interested to hear like anything else you might have to add as well. Uh, well, so, so like I, I think, well, you know, what, what I mentioned before is, you know, I think sometimes we have to learn to deal with how you kind of deal with those microaggressions. Do you, you know, like we, how we've talked is, is do you, do you let it out way or do we all have that kind of thing? And I think some of us know how to deal with it, you know, but, but I believe there's still people out there that don't know how to deal with it. Like the example that I gave you is my partner and I really worked on that because I release it right away and he's not. And I admit it that that's, that is harmful both ways, right? Because if I let it out right away, he's getting the heat of that right away. And if he doesn't release it right away and I get to experience it later, it's a much bigger bomb, right? Because it's not one, it's many. It's a string of things that he's bottled up. And so at least between us, it's it's a lot of communication. So it's a lot of like him stopping me when I'm like releasing it at that time right away. And then me kind of trying to work with him also to be that person that, you know, and I, and I tell him, I said, if, if something happened that day and you get home, I'm here to talk. You know what I mean? It's like, I've, I've always told him is before I'm the person that goes to bed with you, before I'm the person that wakes up with you, I'm your friend. Right. And so communication has to be very important when, when we're talking about those things. Him and I have very different work environments. He works at our, in the restaurant business where there's still a lot of machismo males and they joke a lot. And, and that most of the time they're Hispanic. So their jokes are not light. You know, he says that the guys in the kitchens are always grabbing their butt and even their friend part. And and I'm like, man, these people are cooking for us in the restaurants, you know, and they're grabbing each other at back. They're all straight. Right. And so sometimes he comes home to me and he, he tells me these stories and I have to be mindful because again, I blow up right away and I'm like, why are you letting them, you know, do this or do that? But I have to stand back and I have to say, well, you have to respect yourself so that they don't do that to you because it's a lot of different when that happens between straight guys, right? That they call each other gay or grabbing each other in the ass where if they do that to him, I mean, he's, he's gay. Right. And so it's going to be a lot different, you know, and it's going to offend him. 
And I'm not going to be happy because I work in an office environment where, you know, sexual harassment is very, you know, you, you got to be careful. You say there's not, there's no comments, but in the kitchen, it's so much different, right? And it's bad to, to admit that, but in the restaurant business, there's a lot of sexual harassment more than it's okay, you know, but it's, it is what it is. Right. And so it's that communication piece. And so that's, I think that's how we deal with it. Just talking to each other. That's what I wanted to add. Yeah. I mean, the, why I didn't say anything was that I didn't know who to say to because I was scared that, you know, people wouldn't understand. But when I was in college, there was one instance of bisexual friend and we have many other lesbian friends together. And that bisexual friend, one dinner time, push a sausage in front of me and say, huh, I know you love big sausage. Because I told her that I had tried out dating with guys mm-hmm. and then she did that to me and I felt, you know, really, really angry, but I didn't show. And then I told my other friends and then they, they, they were all outrageous. They think, why you didn't, you know, throw the sausage onto her face right away? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they, they were so angry for me. And then I felt supported and comforted at yeah. that moment. I think it's really important to, you know, tell someone, tell your friend, let it out. Don't bottle up. Yeah, totally. I think to add to what Daniel was saying, sometimes we have to deal in the professional sense, our customers. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. I remember when I worked in a call center, all people are hearing is my voice. Mm-hmm. And I know my voice is not deep. I know it can come off very feminine. And there'd be times where I'd like answer the phone and tell them my name's Paul. And then they would change my name to Paula or Paulina. I've had one guy like literally go off on me because as soon as he found out that I was a guy, he just couldn't believe it. And he was like, I can't believe it. He's like, why is your voice so feminine? He's like, that's not right. Your voice needs to be more masculine. And like went on for like 15 minutes just about my voice and wouldn't even let me help him with his problem. He started cussing at me as I ended up hanging up on him. And then like the person next to me ended up getting him on the call. And he still went off about my voice, didn't even care about his problem, just wanted to complain about my voice. And so it's just like having to like take a step back and like breathe and just like, okay, I have to remember I'm at work. I need to be professional. I can't go off on people (laughs) and just stay calm. Why does that shit bother people? <laughs> like, why does that yeah. set him off? <laughs> no, Paul, I love your voice. It's really yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm not harassing you. I just think you're gorgeous. <laughs> yes. I love it, oh, I'm now uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Elizabeth, we need to talk after this. <laughs> but yeah, right. So, okay. Thank you all so much for sharing. I appreciate everything that you shared today. I just want to say, like, I know that this isn't necessary, but what I have to say is I'm really sorry. Like, I'm really sorry that all happened to you. No, I'm really sorry that that's something that you deal with on a like day-to-day basis. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have this episode and why I'm so happy that all of you shared you know, what you did is because I would love it. Like, one of the outcomes that I would love out of this episode is that people really do take into account what they say. Because one thing, like Jamie said at the beginning of the episode, is that sometimes, you know, people are trying to like compliment you or whatever. But like, as we have seen throughout this episode, it's like not every single microaggression is like an attempted compliment. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it really is 
even in a joking way, still meaning to be harmful. And sometimes it's just flat out meaning to be harmful, like with mm-hmm. what Paul just shared. Yeah. Like that's legitimately meaning to be harmful. And what I want people to get out of this episode, especially people who are not BIPOC, not LGBTQ, that you don't have to say it. Whatever it is is that's in your brain, you don't have to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. I have a lot of thoughts that I don't tell people. (laughs) (laughs) No? I would not have very many conversations if I said everything that was on my mind. Yeah, I'd be like, people would think I was a terrible person. (laughs) Right. Like just because you have a thought, this is something that I deal with as a co- like, this is just a human phenomenon. But I think that people who deal with microaggressions on a regular basis actually have a better filter because you experience what it's like to experience people who don't have a filter. <laughs> like, And I really, really hope that the people who are listening to this episode are like, shit, that is what I'm causing. Just because I say something careless, just because I'm being, as Caleb put it, a ding dong, just because I'm being a ding dong, or just because I want to say whatever is on my mind, there's actual impact. Like there is actual impact to the words Mm -hmm. that you say all the time. Every single word that you say has an impact on someone, whether that be on you, whether that be on the people around you, whether that be even people who can't hear you. Like I hear microaggressions. I hear microaggression, you know, and it has an impact on the people around you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, like pay attention to what you sh- what you say, mm-hmm. have a filter, be compassionate, think for two goddamn seconds before something shoots out your word hole. Like your that's, word hole. Like, <laughs> that's <laughs> the asshole way to say it. But like right. the, the coach way to say it is like, okay, have compassion for people. <laughs> I'm trying to say this before in, you speak. <laughs> right. I'm trying to say this in as many ways as possible, so that whoever yeah. thing is like, oh, that registered. Right. <laughs> However, it needs to register for you to filter your words because your words have an impact on the people around you. Do that. Just mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also like to add that, you know, think about whether the person you're talking to really cares about this particular opinion of yours. Right. <laughs> you know, they really do. They really want to hear it because I, I guarantee you nine out of 10 times they don't. And also we laugh at you afterwards. So <laughs> just don't do it. You know, and after we, we've done our self-care and all that sort of thing, we go back and like, did you know what that ding dong said? You know, and that's our coping mechanism. So just, just don't just nobody wants to hear it. Nobody yeah. cares. I think the other thing to add to that is, I mean, I know people are going to slip, you know, it's just human beings. And the other thing to do is be responsible for the impact of your words. And if you do say something, then have a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. I think that's very telling. You know, if you, if somebody says something offensive and you call them on it and you tell them how it made you feel a type of way, are they going to double down and be like, well, that's just how I am. Take me or leave yep. me. Or they can be like, oh, let me think about that. Yeah. Myself and be better for the future. Yeah, for sure. I think it will help people to identify like who is a safe person in their life. It's like, oh, I talked to this person about a microaggression and, and they, they took it fine and they changed versus like another person who was like resistant and didn't want to believe that they could hurt somebody with their words. Mm-hmm. Any, anybody else have anything that they want to 
say, share, conclude with anything that they want people to, I know we've kind of wrapped it up with like what we want people to get Mm -hmm. out of this. And I'll say my last thing, and then I'm going to open it up again before we close. I think just being willing to apologize. Like if someone says, Hey, what you said to me was offensive, be willing to apologize and be like, Oh, I didn't realize that that was offensive. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you realize it was offensive. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Right. It's just like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did that thing. And then I would say, ask, be like, if you're confused, be like, I'm really confused about that. Can I talk to you about it? Or be like, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to do that again. And then go figure out your own shit on your own terms. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and also nine out of 10 times do that one, that one, yeah. the one go figure out mm-hmm. your own shit on your own terms. Google. Google's like, an amazing thing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But, your friend. Yeah. There's podcasts like this. Go figure out your own shit on your own terms and apologize for your shit. Don't make me feel bad and then make me do the emotional labor for you to make you feel better. Like, go uh-huh. figure out your own shit. Yeah. Also, see color. Listeners, don't don't be colorblind. I just thought of another one. Yeah. Where they're like, I don't see color. Oh, cool. So I'm invisible. You don't see me at all. What <laughs> yeah. is that even? I, I, I don't get when people see that. Yeah. I don't see color. I'm colorblind. Clearly you aren't. <laughs> all right any anything else that any that anyone would like to say share i think for this episode it really gave me a lot of self-reflection i think i might have said a lot of you know microaggression stuff but i, I mean not directly to the people but to my friends and talking shit about other people i think i have made that mistake as well and i am you know really regretting and i hope i can do better I know there are a lot of things in my mind that should not happen, but I, I'm always curious about many things. And sometimes I just, you know, try to say that to my friends, but I'm, you know, it, it shouldn't be done. I should Google more and I should be more careful. And it's really important to have the filter and be mindful of what we are talking about. Yeah, I think it, it's a great lesson learned. I think it's important to, yeah, definitely. Like just because, you know, we might be somebody that has a lot of microaggressions for us doesn't mean that we are immune to giving it out to other people. And that's something to think about for sure. Yeah. And that we're all human. You know, Caleb mentioned earlier the thing about like, oh, you know, you're, I would never have known that you were a trans or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that's actually something that I shared with him at one point mm-hmm. because I was, sharing a compliment or what I thought was a compliment from someone else. They were like, Hey, tell Caleb this. Right. And that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And so actually him and I have had that conversation before as well, where it was just like, that was a microaggression that I brought to him that I had no idea, Mm -hmm. you know? And then we talked about it and it was like, you know, then all of a sudden it was like, Oh shit. Like I can totally see like why that was not cool. And that I won't do that in the future. But that's a conversation that him and I have had. We're all human. We all make mistakes. We can be forgiving for each other's mistakes. And also, like, don't be a ding-dong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the preferred pronouns, too. I, I, I had never thought of it that way. I will for sure say pronouns now. Just what are your pronouns? Well, thank you all so much. I appreciate, again, just appreciate all of you coming on. I appreciate all of you sharing so vulnerably and just... I just love the heck out of all of you. I just love the heck out of all of you. And uh, really appreciate all of you. And 
what was the other? There was one more thing that I was going to say, and I don't remember what it was. Thanks. Thanks, Al. Pain is left the station. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing these, Elizabeth. You're the best. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So much, uh, Thank you, Elizabeth. <laughs> Love you.